can't do it. We'll do it live. Okay. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! Mister, will you please wake up? Here's Kane now, juking his way to the right lower left corner. Should he score? Oh no, that's turned wide by Layton. Loose puck in the crease. And now it's in the net. They score! The it's Chicago over. Blackhawks are Stanley Cup champions! This has just set a Super Bowl record with 12 catches. He's in motion. Montana. Flutie flushed, throws it down, caught by Boston College, I don't believe it, it's a touchdown, (laughs) the Eagles win it. And that's driven deep to left center field, Garner is going back, looking up, see you later, see you later, Astros headed back to the World Series. This is Snowman in the Morning. It indeed is Snowman in the Morning. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Monday edition of Snowman in the Morning. Glad to have you with us. I am not happy. I'll get to that in just a moment. I have RJ's review with Rob Johnson from Legacy uh, Legacy Maker Sports Network. He'll join me. Uh, Jay Spivey will join me, of course, with his Spivey notes, wondering what the hell happened at Bank of America Stadium and Keenan Stadium on Saturday. We'll get to all of that. Of course, um, later on this week, we'll have the College Football Express with Chris Dietz. You may hear that a couple times this week, so let's get into it. Here's a riddle. What do the Cincinnati Bengals, the San Francisco 49ers, the Carolina Panthers, and the Cleveland Browns all have in common after yesterday? Answer, missed opportunities. Carolina lost to the Philadelphia Eagles. Let me say that again for those of you in the cheap seats at Old Veterans Stadium. The Carolina Panthers, in a game they controlled, in a game they controlled. Now, they were turnover happy. Sam Darnold threw four interceptions yesterday. But they controlled that game. And should have won it going away. Instead, they're now 3-2 and in the year after a 21-18 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm just going to say this as honestly as I can as I review the games in front of me. The Panthers' offense tried to get cute, and they got caught several times. Sam Darnold trying to stick passes in areas where they, where you should have known they weren't going to go. That's why he got picked off four times. And I'll pose, I'll pose a question that I asked a hundred times over. And Cole Johnson, who I hope to have this morning, depending on the time, Pose the same question. Why are teams allergic to running the football? I've seen this in college. I've seen this in uh, NFL, high school, and college. Why are you afraid to run the football? I mean, the Eagles didn't know who the hell Chuba Hubbard was. I mean, yeah, you got film on him, but at the same time, 
if your offensive line was in shape, you could have pounded that defense for at least 200 yards. Easy. You could have pounded that defense for 200 yards. But no, you want to get cute and have everything rely on the quarterback. And Sam Darnold has been playing lights out. Let's not get it twisted. Sam Darnold has been playing lights out until he went to Dallas. Sam Darnold has been playing lights out until Philadelphia showed their teeth yesterday. There, are too, there were too many points left on the table for Carolina. Too many. The one example that highlights this statement is when a snap went over Jalen Hurts' head, and I'll get to Jalen Hurts a little bit later, And Carolina did not pounce on it for a touchdown. The ball kept rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling, and they get a safety out of it. So instead of it being 19 to 3, it was only 15 to 3. And I've always believed that if you let a team score before the end of the first half, it's going to come back and bite you in the ass. What happened at the end of the first half? Philadelphia rides right down the field and gets a field goal. This is on top of the fact that Jalen Hurts, for three and a half quarters, did nothing. Let me say that again. For three and a half quarters, Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagle offense did nothing. And yet, they were within nine points at halftime with a full 30 minutes. A full 30 minutes. And they were only down 15 to 6. That should have been a blowout. That should have been a blowout. That should have been a blowout. But when you leave eight points on the table in terms of the two field goals, when you leave five, possibly six points on the table, in terms of the safety that should have been a touchdown, you keep giving a team like Philadelphia confidence. And I say teams like Philadelphia because you got the New York Jets, you got the Atlanta Falcons, you got a few others spread around the uh, spread around the league. That all you have to do is give them give them a vote of confidence, and that's exactly what Carolina did. Being the better team at three and one record wise. Facing a team that's one and three, that's a team you needed to smack. And I mean often. That's a team you needed to just beat the the ever-loving blank out of and keep it pushing. But instead, instead, you allowed the Philadelphia Eagles to beat you. It was 15 to 6 at halftime. Should have been the Panthers should have had at least 20 points on the dock on the board in the first half, if not 28. 
every one of those possessions that they had should have resulted in some kind of points. The Darnold interception should have known better. Should have known better. And that's for all of his interceptions. He threw four of them yesterday. And that's the fault, I believe, of the coaching staff for not having enough trust in Chuba Hubbard to run the football and run it well. That is the fault of the Panthers not having the offensive line in front of them, which Mick Mixon said was going to be a question for them. Was going to be a question for them. Well, that's a question that should have been answered. I'm sorry. That's a question that should have been answered in the draft when you had two great offensive linemen available, Panay Sewell out of Oregon and Rashawn Slater from my beloved Northwestern Wildcats. I'm sorry. You coughed it up. You coughed it up. But the bad part is the, pa- the Panthers weren't the only ones that goofed up and allowed a team to stay in the game. Let me go to Arizona. Let me go to Glendale, Arizona. 49ers and Cardinals. Chance for the 49ers to get back into the division race against a team I am not impressed with in the Arizona Cardinals. And yesterday proved it. What Arizona did do was take advantage of our ineptitude on offense. Four fourth down chances. You only got one. And the one that you needed to have in the fourth quarter to give you the lead, you cough up the ball at the 50-yard line, they go right down the field and put it in the end zone for the clinching points. 17 five games into the season, And there's still a chance for the 49ers to come back and win the division because this is the toughest division in football. But as I'm watching that game and seeing our ineptitude, Trey Lance, I love you, but you're not a starting quarterback. I'll say it again. Trey Lance, you're not a starting quarterback. I miss Jimmy G. And and yeah, Trey had to get the start, you know, because of Jimmy G's injury. We're missing George Kittle as well. I hate the fact that we're missing Kittle. But be that as it may, you line up and play the team that's in front of you. And if they beat you, then they're the better team that day. Arizona kept stopping our offense. But the one big positive, one of the big positives I will take from this game is something that the Panthers, the Browns, and other teams did not do. 49ers ran the football. 150 yards of of rushing offense. Should have stuck with it. Should have stuck with it. And I bet you when we see them in Santa Clara, the Niners will be back in the race for the division as well as the playoffs and will have a chance to pound Kyler Murray into the dirt because that defense got after Kyler Murray. The Arizona Cardinals made a mistake and relied on Kyler Murray entirely too much and did not shore up their running game. They didn't. They didn't. And going to Cincinnati for a moment. Oh, I mean, look, 
I have a dear friend by the name of Trey Larkins. I'm going to have him on the show, and we're going to start our show um, very soon. Trey, this is for you. The Packers got lucky. Because Mason Crosby, until the final field goal of the game, couldn't hit a field goal to save his life. Neither could Cincinnati. Cincinnati had six chances to seal the game. The Packers had five, and they got the one that they needed, which was an overtime. But I don't want to hear anything out of you, Trey Larkins, who went to the game yesterday at Paul Brown Stadium because he lives in Cincy. And I, he sent me some pictures this morning. And he says, I saw my Packers beat the Bengals live in Cincinnati, but the Bengals are much improved. Damn right. Damn right they're improved. But at the same time, when you get chance after chance, Baker Mayfield, this is to you, to win the game or put the game away. And you don't take advantage of it, you deserve to lose. Now, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers got it done yesterday in overtime. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers got it done, okay? But, boy, I wouldn't want to have hear, heard Trey's voice had they lost. The Bengals are indeed a much improved team, very much improved. But the whole point of this first segment is you can't leave points on the table. Carolina left at least 30 points on the table yesterday. At least 30. When they could have walked out of Bank of America Stadium with their head held high in blasting the Philadelphia Eagles. Instead, it's Philadelphia walking out of Bank of America Stadium with their head held high because they're within a game of 500, just like the 49ers are. And they think, and they're thinking, hey, we got a little confidence coming into our next game. I just hope that this does not start a very disturbing, disturbing trend. I really hope this does not start a disturbing trend for some of the teams that I picked, a couple of others picked, to be good. And they're not. And they're not. If I were were Carolina Panthers and their fans, take a look. Because you might have some trouble coming down the line. You just might have some trouble coming down the line. That's how we start here on Snowman in the Morning. When we come back, RJ's review, and I got a couple of other things in the morning mashup. Stick around. This is Snowman in the Morning. Snowman of the Morning continues, and finally, I'm going to introduce a segment I have been planning on and trying to put together, but uh, 
haven't had a chance to. Haven't had a chance to do it right. Uh, had uh, got something on uh, Friday, but we're going to do something we like to call the morning mashup, and I'll explain as we go along. Swinging a ground ball, base hit the center. Leori is in. Hernandez stops at second. It's twelve to six. Third down, five yards to go. The snap. Mahomes steps up, fires the pass. Off the hands, intercepted by Micah Hyde at the 10, at the 5. Touchdown, Buffalo. Micah Hyde got the tip pass and cruised into the end zone for the Buffalo touchdown. Although we take it seriously, we also have fun with it. And uh, we've been having fun for, for a long, long time. Although it doesn't look from, from other from other areas or whatever the people watch it. But uh, we love we love the group. We love what we do. We, we're having fun. And... Uh, here we are. Here's the snap. Josh going to keep it himself and run it again inside the five into the end zone. Touchdown, Buffalo. Josh Allen, nine-yard touchdown run. The Bills respond and then some on their opening drive. Winning run at first. Young Luis Patino delivers, and there's a drive left field. High and deep. Back by the wall. Gone. Red Sox win it. Christian Vasquez. A two-run homer. Can you believe it? 6-4 Boston in 13 innings. And Vasquez getting mobbed. Fires his helmet in the air as he approaches home plate and is being mobbed. Way too many penalties, I think. When you have eight holding penalties and you struggle in a short yardage situation uh, and field position is hard to come by, it's going to be a fist, fist fight. And they won this one today. Congratulations to them. And Jones abandons the backfield. They go wildcat with Damian Harris waiting on the staff from Andrews. He takes it. He runs to the left. And Harris Got to it. the goal line and in. Bruising forward. Touchdown, Patriots. For us to play like we did today, uh, it starts with Justin. But like I told the team in there, the reason why he's being able to you know, play the way he's capable of playing is because he has a really good team around him. Our offensive line was outstanding today. Our receivers, tight ends, and backs were fantastic. And then what that does is allows him to go be who we all know he is. And, and, but you cannot win a game like that if you don't have a player like Justin Herbert. Third down and six from the 13. Shotgun snap to Jones with a four-man rush. Throws it to the end zone. Open yeah. Henry. Sliding grab. Touchdown, Patriots. It's inside the far sideline. Now it's full. The snap and the placement. Swing to the right leg. The kick. Airborne to the uprights is good. And the Patriots have the lead with 15 seconds to go. I'm having fun, aren't you? This is our morning mashup. I got more stuff for you, folks. Snap to Kyler. He throws a fade left side in the end zone. And it is caught for a touchdown by D-Hop. D-Hop caught it with Josh Norman draped all over him trying to pull the ball away. Even if it's a simultaneous catch, it goes to the offense. They lift DeAndre Hopkins up in celebration after an incredible grab for a touchdown. Herbert under center, Eckler in the backfield. Hand off to Eckler. They're trying to let him score. They are. And they are they carrying him, in. him into the end zone oh, for a touchdown. They pulled him into the end zone. Yeah. So Fields under center takes. Play fake. Fields rolling to his right. Hit as he delivers into the end zone. Touchdown! Jesper Horsted! Touchdown, Bears! Fields took another pop. Bears have the lead. 6-3. Wait a minute. 
When did Jeff Joniak get in on the fun? Williams alone back. Fields from center takes turns, giving it to Williams, bouncing to the outside left. Nice spin in the open field, into the end zone for the touchdown. Touchdown, Bears! Damian Williams in from the four. Bears extend their lead over the Raiders to 13-3 here in Vegas. Evans moves to the slot. Brady drops. Pressure coming. Gets the pass. Oh, caught ball. 50. Out of the foot race to the 40. It's at Antonio Brown to the 20. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Tampa Bay. Antonio Brown takes it to the north end zone. Fire the cannon. Fire the cannon. Is it Gene Deckeroff? What are you doing here in the, in the morning mashup, man? What's up with all? What's what's up with all this? It was inevitable somebody was going to do it in time. So, hey, it, it happened to be us. That's great. But it, that doesn't mean anything to me because that's not a goal that I'm trying to, to talk about or do. I want our organization, our program to do well. That's, that's the only thing I care about. Jim Bo Fisher after Saturday night. We're all tied at 29. We await the snap. There it is. Hold is down. Kick is up. It'll have plenty of leg. He nailed it. Notre Dame leads 32-29. Notre Dame. When did I let Notre Dame into this conversation? What in the world is going on here? Garcia pitches. Crawford swings it. He drives one. Right center field. Pretty deep. Way back there. And good man! Into the Dodger bullpen. 4-0 Giants. Brandon Crawford against the left-hander. It's a rocket. Midway between the 391 side and center and the 415 side and deep right center. A little extra insurance for the Giants and a 4-0 lead now. Well, that'll conclude this version of the Monday mashup. And I hope you all had fun. I'm I'm putting it together as we as, as we go along. I'm going to get some suggestions on how to really do this, how to really mix in the highlights and mix in conversation as well. But uh, that's the Monday mashup. Uh, we'll have a mashup every morning of highlights and conversation and quotes and interviews. And thanks to all the team uh, to all of, uh, the teams, uh, especially in highlight. Uh, Jeff Joniak from the Chicago Bears. Also, uh, Dave Pash from the uh, Arizona Cardinals and quite a few more. Um, I, I want to make this a project that uh, we really, really improve on. And something I'm going to introduce tomorrow is my version of Herd's Hierarchy. Colin Cowherd had his Herd's Hierarchy. I'll have my top 10 tomorrow of, uh, of uh, NFL teams. And later on this week, top 10 college teams, courtesy of Chris Dietz inside of the Express. Time for a break. And when we come back, it's RJ's Weekend Review. What does Rob Johnson have in store for us this time? You'll find out when y'all get back. This is Snowman in the Morning. This is Snowman in the Morning. Hey, Toeman, we're waiting for you. Snowman in the morning. It is indeed the Monday edition of Snowman in the morning, and we keep it rolling with RJ's review. Rob Johnson from. Morning, sir. Good morning. I am glad to be here. Thank you for having me on. Okay. Do we start 
And do do we start in Texas or, or do we start in California? Um, <laughs> I guess I, I guess we can start in California. I, mean, I guess we can start in Texas because in California I don't, have, I don't have a mask right now. So, um, <laughs> at forty one thirty eight, A and M wins on a walk off. Georgia assumes the top spot in the polls. Alabama drops to five. Should Alabama worry? I'm thinking no. Um, looking at Alabama, and I actually I watched this game. I analyzed this game. A and M has not been very good this year, and I understand it was a Saturday night, and it was a lot of emotions going on. But it, I'm I'm not saying that this is the end of the dynasty by any stretch of the imagination. But you're starting to get that feeling that maybe that that was a tide turning loss, especially to that A and M team. Um. You know, when I look at the game, I look at everything. But Texas A&M did did more to win. And for me, the problem I have, Snowman, and the reason that I'm so against a 12-team playoff, King would would make the playoff every single year. For them to only for them to only drop four slots, to me, is 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 a problem. I will say this: they do have a problem, and their problem are two teams. And those are teams that are going to be playing in Athens, Georgia, this Saturday. Mm-hmm. Not only not only the Georgia Bulldogs, but are you ready for this? The Kentucky Wildcats. I agree. I agree. I agree. And they need and they have to see both of them. You know, there there's a possibility they may wind up seeing George. They they may wind up seeing either Georgia or Kentucky in the SEC championship in Atlanta. Kentucky is balling out this year. Yeah, but can I also mention this to your audience? I think one thing that makes me laugh is, and you know, people talk about bias, you know, West Coast bias and this bias. There, there, there's a Southeastern Conference bias because if you remember, there was a time where uh, people would come on television and say, you know, all these teams like the Big Twelve are scoring all these points, and the uh, Big and the SEC is tough and rugged, and they're playing defense. Now the SEC is the Big Twelve, and everybody seems to be fine with it. So. You know, let's just say that we don't get a, a SEC team in the in the playoff, which it, it's not inconceivable that it, it won't happen. It, it, it won't happen because exactly. you 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 have some teams in the top ten who um, could could you know, and then you still have Ohio State who has that one good loss to Oregon who's still in the top ten. So the SEC really has to be careful here. that 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 Alabama loss to A and M could be a tie turning um, loss. It really, really could. And you mentioned some of the other teams that are competing, one of which we'll talk about now, which is the Bearcats of Cincinnati. Cincinnati went to Notre Dame, beat them by double digits. Then they crushed Temple. They're undefeated right now, number three in the nation. But we all know how that bias goes. We saw it with Boise State a decade ago. We saw it with TCU Around the around the same time, matter of fact, we saw with Boise State a couple of times, even when they opened the season going to Washington and beating Virginia Tech on opening night. They still didn't get into the playoff. They were waiting for the other shoe to drop. Will it take will it will it take Cincinnati running the table plus winning their conference title for us to get a team to finally to get a non-power of five team to finally bust the power, the, uh, the, the playoffs. 
Um, Mitch, I, 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 let's, like I said, let's hope it does. But this is what's going on for Cincinnati. And the thing is that we talk about style points. We talk about, you know, teams that can help other people. Well, well here's the thing. Notre Dame has to keep winning. And mm-hmm. if you remember, you know, Florida State did lose Jacksonville State, but Florida State, Florida State is starting to get on a winning streak. They're starting to win. So that helps Notre Dame, and that helps Notre Dame's case, and it helps Cincinnati because – um, Cincinnati got beat. Cincinnati beat Notre Dame by a good margin. Yep. But the thing is that you just beat Temple. So he- here's the schedule. Here's the schedule for these guys going down the line. Um, it's 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 not it's not a world beater by by any stretch. But there is a potential game where this could really help out Cincinnati. Where Cincinnati has to be careful. Um, next next week, which is October 16th, they have uh, UCF at home, uh, Navy on the road. Tulane on the road. They have Tulsa at home. Tulsa is never easy. Anybody who knows college football knows Tulsa is not easy. <laughs> no. You got you got you got at South Florida, which is always dicey. South Florida can always find ways to beat people, no matter who you are. I'm gonna skip the game. They have at East Carolina, which is also very people who play East Carolina. East Carolina is very dicey on the road, especially mm-hmm. you're talking about late November game. But the key game for Cincinnati, and this could be a college. Uh, ESPN College Game Day game is November the 20th when they play host to SMU, who is currently undefeated themselves. Yes, I'm looking so forward we, so to we, that. So, yep, so we are looking at a Cincinnati team who people will look at their schedule and say it's not a big deal. They've got a tough schedule, in my opinion. I don't care what anybody, they anybody who, who really knows college football, knows these atmospheres, they got a tough schedule. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, especially that one you pointed out with uh, with with SMU coming in November. Can Oregon leapfrog teams to get back into the Final Four, or are their chances out? Man, you know, you asked me a tough question there, and all right, so we got Georgia at one, Iowa, Cincinnati, Oklahoma, Alabama, uh, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and Oregon. Um, there is a good possibility, still, man, because you got to think about Michigan. Michigan State got to play. Penn State has a knack of doing some weird things at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ohio, Ohio State is ahead of Oregon. If if it comes down to it, and let's hope the bias doesn't again. It's that word bias. Yes, you can't, you can't put Ohio State over Oregon if it comes down to it. You look at Alabama, uh, Oklahoma. We know Oklahoma has been living on the edge quite mm-hmm. little this season. But let's go to Alabama. Let's look at their schedule. I mean, they have a tough game in Mississippi State this upcoming week. Yeah. Mississippi State with that air raid offense, you know, Mike Leach, you know, <laughs> Mike, Mike, Leach, Mike Leach has a knack for doing things. Yeah, now, is. on October 23rd, they got Tennessee. Surprisingly, folks, Tennessee's playing better. Mm-hmm. They have LSU, which LSU is not really playing that well. Um, New Mexico State, Arkansas, and Auburn. I don't really look at that schedule as being a world beater. But I will say you have to watch out against Mississippi State. It's a seven o'clock game. It's a night game, mm-hmm. and that Tennessee that Tennessee game is going to be a little bit more dicey than people think. So I'll be honest with you, Snowman. The Oregon Ducks have a great chance to get to the college football playoff. They just have to be more consistent. Right. Uh, they have to play. They have to play their game, and they have to get get rid of the injuries. The injuries uh, totally have been taking have been messing with them. And even you know, even a UCLA team who has been struggling, they still got to go there. Uh, they got a games at Washington, which, as you know, as a college football fan, again, mm-hmm. is always a dicey place to play. Yes, it you is. Got, you you have you have at Utah on November twentieth. Utah, and Utah's no walk in the park either. 
you talking upset anybody anytime, and then you got to play those those um those those pesky guys from Corvallis. Your last game yep. of the season, the Oregon State Beavers. So, mm-hmm. um, to me, like I said, Oregon has a good chance. Just that their quarterback Brown, he has to be consistent. You know, he's a transfer from Boston College. Uh, they have the number one defensive player in the country. Uh, he has to be more consistent. He has to stay healthy, um, and just avoid and just avoid Stanford at all costs. And, and and for the rest of your football lives, and they'll be good. Yeah, yeah. Stanford, <laughs> Stanford dropped Oregon thirty-one twenty-four two they weeks ago, and Stanford always, always plays Oregon tough. The two teams yeah. that always give Oregon problems in the Pac-10 or Pac-12 Pac rather are Washington State and Stanford. And if you want to add a third, you can add Arizona. But they took care of Arizona earlier in the year. Let's go to Southern California as we continue RJ's review here on Snowman in the Morning. Can we finally put some respect on Justin Herbert's name? We can. But listen, I like Justin Herbert. I really do. But I think that that we have uh, Patrick Mahomes... um, What's the word I'm trying to say? I think that the media is kind of, I think us as a media, like, we, we want, like, a new king because, right. you know, Patrick Mahomes has been dominating for so long, and you mm-hmm. have this guy, this 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 cool, calm, collective sitting in Southern California and and, um, and Justin Herbert. You know, he's been playing very good. You know, he, he he's had great games. He They put 47 points on the board yesterday. He had, I believe, four, uh, four more touchdowns. Uh, he's been dominating. He's been doing everything that you want your young quarterback to do. But here's the thing. He doesn't have any playoff success yet. We have to pump the brakes. We have to remember this is still the the Los Angeles Chargers. They have ways, just like the Las Vegas Raiders, of starting out really hot yeah. and then disappointing <laughs> us. So uh, and I'm so, br- I'm so glad you brought up the Raiders. I'm so, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up the Raiders. Uh, yeah. Because you know everybody was like on their bandwagon, and then the Bears showed up, and then Justin Fields and and company held them to single points. You know, Bears won that game twenty to nine. Back to Justin Herbert for just a quick second. What's it going to take for Herbert to punch his ticket into the class of elite quarterbacks? He's going to have to win a playoff game. He's going to have to win a playoff game. And like I said, this is not. And I believe Justin Herbert is a great quarterback. Trust me, from Oregon. I had him going very high in the draft. However, we know how this game works. We know how the narrative works. Mm-hmm. As great as Peyton Manning was, if you remember, he got B.I.B.U.'s 41 and nothing against the Jets. A lot of people forget about that. Right. 41 nothing against the Jets in the playoffs. No playoff wins. He took him to the next year to get a playoff win, I believe. Right. It, I think this was like 2000 when Herm Edwards was the coach. Two, two, you have a history with the L.A. Chargers. You have a history of Philip Rivers, of Drew Brees, and you have a history of Dan Fouts, of great quarterbacks who could just couldn't get over the hump. Mm-hmm. For, for the L.A. Chargers to really get, and for Justin Herbert to get that credit, in my opinion, not only do they have to win the division, but they're going to have to beat um, Kansas City at least one or two more times, and that includes the playoffs, if you know what I'm saying. Well, they already got them once. Yeah. Earlier in the year, they beat them yeah. in Arrowhead, thirty to twenty-four. Yep, they're 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 four and one mm-hmm. now. Now their worst performance so far has been surprisingly against. And I can't believe I'm saying this was against the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, and there's a possibility that we could see both of those teams in SoFi again, which would be awesome because um, those two teams had an awesome game, and Justin Herbert left a lot of things on the field. Mm-hmm. In fact, in fact, I'll say this: if Justin Herbert and his team 
didn't leave some things on the field. We'd be looking at a 5-0 and team right now. Exactly. So, yeah, so Justin Herbert, in my opinion, like I said, he just has to keep playing, he has, playing the way he's playing. Just make sure he's consistent. That's the biggest thing with the L.A. Chargers. Consistency. Get to the playoffs, win a playoff game or two, and he, he's right there in the league company. No, no, no doubt about it. No Weekend. doubt about it. Weekend review with RJ. RJ's review. Rob Johnson joining me. Touch the NBA real quick before we get out of here and get to a oh and, and get to a break. <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! I, I, before before you say anything, I know exactly where you're going. I think it's in California. <laughs> I'm not going to California yet. I'm going to New York. Mm. What are the what what the hell is Kyrie Irving doing? I just okay. I just need an answer to that question. <laughs> hey, listen, 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 listen. Um, I think the people comparing him to Muhammad Ali are going a little bit too far. <laughs> a little bit too far. But but but, but let, let me say this. This virus and, 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 and I want to speak on the virus real quick. I was very disgusted yesterday because I saw a commercial from the from the NFL that said, Well, you know, you know, a lot of people missed their cancer screens because of the fact that, you know, you know, people were so uh, caught up with COVID. I'm like, yeah, think, yeah, think. <laughs> you, you, you figure that out all by yourself. And, and like I said, because cancer, I just want about, to ten, about uh, 10 years too late, because remember, I am a cancer patient. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I want to put that out there, everybody. As, and I want to put that out there, everybody, because not only as a journalist, but as a journalist, I'll let everyone know, even though we're going through COVID, make sure you get your screenings. Please you know, do. Don't, don't 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 let the don't don't let the scares of what the media is telling you prevent you from going to get your other checks, diabetes, heart disease, etc. Yes. That's the whole important. Yes. Now, let's get to Mr. Kyrie Irving. <laughs> I understand that I understand that he is very hesitant about the shot. Trust me, I'm still doing my research as well. Mm-hmm. But what I don't, but what I don't understand about about what's going on is now they're saying he's allowed to practice because of he he hasn't he doesn't have close contact or whatever they're talking about, and it doesn't make any sense to me. Nope. But you're supposed to lose three hundred eighty one thousand dollars a game, and if he's willing to give up three hundred and eighty one thousand dollars a game, that's forty one home games. I believe if I'm yeah, forty one home game. We're back to a full eighty two game schedule. Yep, forty one home games. Then hey. That that must be what that must be something that he's very convinced about. But yeah. I'll say this: I think it is time for the uh, Brooklyn Nets to go ahead and trade him because you can't have this. Exactly. This is unprecedented. This is unprecedented. You can't have this. You know, if you're in, that's four million one hundred ninety-one thousand dollars. My God, um, <laughs> that's a lot of money. I mean, but, um, I'm not walking away from that. I mean, I got my shot before the Super Bowl. Oh, oh no! Excuse me, excuse me. My math, my math, my math was incorrect. I'm sorry. That's fifteen million six hundred twenty-one thousand dollars. Even more be- reason not to walk away. Yeah, I told but- you, I got my shot before before Super Bowl fifty-five. My my whole family's vaccinated. Yeah. We took so, care. We took so, care of that at first opportunity. So, so I, I can't tell another man how to feel about his body. I'm not right. going to be one of these guys to come on TV or come on radio tell another man what to feel about his body. But mm-hmm. the Brooklyn, but the Brooklyn Nets right now are in a dilemma. They're in a dilemma because James Harden still has to resign. Yep. Kevin Durant can still get traded out of there. Brooklyn can go from can go from Brooklyn riding high to Brooklyn look, look like he did maybe about four or five years ago. 
So yeah, I'm serious. yeah, and, so yeah. That, and, and that's the thing. So so if I'm if I'm if I'm if I'm the Brooklyn Nets, I I dump him back in Cleveland and keep it moving. Seriously, no argument keep, for me. No argument. No argument for me. Back in Cleveland, yep. and then and then and then he doesn't have to worry about and, and, it, and they don't have to worry about it because yep. it's just become too much of a headache at this point. Yep. Yep. Way too much of a headache. That's RJ's review here on Snowman in the morning. Have I'll have him on every Monday. I promise y'all we're getting it together. Always a pleasure to have you on, my friend. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Coming up next, the White Sox responded. Big time, and I'm so happy they did, but they still have business to take care of. This is the Monday edition of Snowman in the Morning, and I'm back in a flash. This is Snowman in the Morning. Mister, how do you operate this Twitter thing or this Instagram thing or whatever the heck. You're supposed to know all this stuff. Anyway, welcome back to the show. Wrapping up hour one here on uh, Snowman in the Morning. Sorry for the interference there. Coming to you from Raleigh, North Carolina. And I am so happy that the White Sox responded after getting, you know, well, they didn't lose badly in Houston, but like I told y'all, Houston is a professional hitting baseball team. I've been telling you that for a year. And everybody that wants to see Houston lose, not so fast. This is a damn good ball club. But so are the White Sox. And boy, game three, yes, in the most obvious of cases, was a must win. And I'm so glad that the White Sox responded and they won game three, 12 to 6, forcing a game four this afternoon, which I will be paying attention to. And should they take care of business? And I expect them to because they're at home. They have a chance to do something that the Boston Red Sox did in 1999. And that's win game five on the road. Now, that's been done a couple of times. You know, the hell, the Cubs did it. The Cubs did it in 2017 when they beat Washington. But be that as it may, they but how did Rich Eisen put it during his Sports Center days? They bust out the whooping stick. <laughs> oh man. And I love I like I said, I love the fact that the bats woke up. Yasmani Grandal talked about the White Sox being no stranger to comebacks. We've had plenty of games during the year where we've been down early by a lot of runs and, and we've been able to come back and, uh, and, and take the lead. So um, today was, was no difference. And he also talked of the fans. You know, these fans are incredible. So the fact that everybody was here... Um, was great you know all blacked out it was awesome um so hopefully uh we'll have it tomorrow again and you know keep rocking the fans were rocking last night they were doing that carlos rodon would get the start today in game four grandal offered his thoughts he's been saying that so i'm, I'm excited about that um 
you know, Carlos is a competitor. He wants to be out there. He wants to make sure he, he's on the mound. Um, we, we've seen what he can do when, when he's uh, full go. So the fact that he's actually been saying, hey, you know, I, I, I got it, I got it, I got it, um, it's great news to hear. So I'm very excited for that. I'm excited, too. I want to see what Rodon does today. It's a 3.30 pitch Eastern time for game four. And, again, the White Sox face a must-win situation. And, yeah, it's a must-win, but doggone it, I can't wait. But you're facing you're facing one of the – oh, my gosh. I mean, I love Tampa Bay, and I love the fact that Tampa, Tampa Bay is the uh, top seed in the East. But everyone wants to discount the Houston Astros. Why? And for that matter, after giving the first two games as reasoning, they wanted to scout the Chicago White Sox. Don't do that. PM the White Sox. Eloy Jimenez. Mount Eloy got the scoring started. Here's the 0-1. Base hit center field. Anderson around third. He will score. White Sox lead one to nothing in the first. And they busted out the old White Sox song that we played in 2005. You know, Houston answered with five straight, led 5-1. But then one of the heroes, yes, Monty Grandal, came up in the bottom of the third. The pitch driven in the air to left. Well hit. Brantley back. It is gone. It's a home run. And they're within two. And the fans are back in it. Yeah, they are back. They they were back in it. It was 5-3 Houston at the time, but then Lauri Garcia pointed to a target in center field and did this. 3-1 pitch, hammered in the air. Deep center field. That baby will go! A home run! Three-run homer, Lauri! And they've got the lead! Well, Houston tied it at six, as all professional teams do, but then the White Sox came back to bat, and Jose Abreu made his appearance. A lot of room on the right side. The pitch. Jose hits a ground ball. Correa can't get it in the center. Tim's going to score. Robert to third. It's seven to six. White Sox add on to their lead, courtesy of Andrew Vaughn. 0-2. Golfed in the air, out in the left center. That ball's going to get to the wall. Moncada rounding third. He's going to score a huge insurance run. It's 10-6. Final was 12-6 as the White Sox creep back into the series. They're down two games to one, and today is a must win. Uh, today is a must win. Game four this afternoon. The start time is 3.30 Eastern time. And, uh, well... May the best team win because you got two of the best playing each other right now. You know what I wish, though? I wish that it was a league championship series where it's four out of seven instead of three out of five. Because anybody that knows their history remembers we beat them in 2005, four straight to win the world championship. They have just gotten better. They had a time where they were just like bottom of the barrel. But then... They built the team the way they were supposed to build it. 
And now they're on the precipice of, you know, getting back to the league championship series. Hell, they came within a game of getting back to the World Series in 2020. Let me explain that. Let me say that again. They came within a game of getting back to the World Series in 2020, erasing a three-game deficit. Now, if they can erase a three-game deficit to the eventual American League champions in Tampa Bay, I know for a blankety-blank fact that the White Sox can erase a two-game deficit to the Houston Astros and come back and win this series. I still have them winning this series. But what I said also is that the White Sox had to get one in Texas. They had to get one in Texas. They led game two, four to two, but then the Astros came alive, tied the game, and then a five-run seventh won the game for them, nine to four. Was I feeling all sorts of down? Yeah, because this is my team. But I also know how good the Houston Astros are. I know how good they are. You can't take anything away from them. Scandal aside, scandal aside, you can't take anything away from them. And if you continue to do that, then that's on you. That's on you. And I know many friends that still uh, hold that scandal above their, uh, above their heads, okay? I understand that. But be that as it may, I believe the Astros, with a different manager and different um, management, mind you, because all, all the folks that were involved in that 2017 scandal, they told them, hit the road, Jack, including A.J. Hinch. And then Dusty Baker became the manager, and a lot of people were saying, well, let's see how good they are with Dusty Baker being the manager. I believe the fact that they came within an eyelash of the World Series last year and the fact that they won the American League West this year with 96 wins should tell you how good this Houston Astro team is. And I already know some of the narratives that are coming, okay? I already know some of the narratives that are coming. Let's just say that the White Sox come all the way back and win this series and win Game 5 in Texas. I already know what the narratives are going to be. Dusty Baker is not a playoff manager. The Astros are getting karma. No, should the White Sox come back and win this series, they just got outplayed. That's why you play this best of five or best of seven series. May the best team win. Period. It's may the best team win. And I got no problem with that. I got no problem facing the Houston Astros today in game four. I got no problem whatsoever with the Houston Astros and how they are as a baseball team now. Did they pay the price when they got zapped? Yes. But since then, they've been doing nothing but winning. I believe in my eyes they have proven that they can win without the trash cans and any other piece of the scandal that people want to uh, continue to point out and still call them cheaters. Okay. Call them cheaters all you want. But to me, they got my apology last year because of them beating the Oakland A's 
in the wild card round, or in the division series, I beg your pardon, and then wiping out a three-game deficit to get to a seventh game in the league championship series. They have my respect. That's all I got to say. They have my respect and made the best team win today in game four at Guaranteed Rate Field in my hometown of Chicago. But there is a big part of me that's hoping the White Sox pull this off and at least get to game five in Houston. If not, it was a great year and a lot to build on for this White Sox team. Two years of White Sox failures when you have such a young ball club does not amount to a hill of beans when you have the bulk of your ball club locked up and in control for the next three, four, or maybe five years. John Zaglow said it best. The White Sox, in doing this the way the Cubs did not, bought themselves a five-year window. A five-year window. They bought themselves a five-year World Series window. And I hope that they continue to get it right, let Tony La Russa do his thing, and keep signing these young bucks. Because as the slogan of theirs was about 10 years ago, hey, these kids can play. And they play today at 3.30. But you're facing, I believe, one of the best teams in the majors in the Houston Astros. I said it last year. I said it this year. I said I wouldn't be surprised if they run away with the West. And they did run away with the West. I mean, Oakland had a 13-game losing, uh, 13-game winning streak. I beg your pardon. What, what did he get them? Third place in the division. Seattle damn near snuck in the playoffs if the Red Sox and the Yankees didn't do their thing. There is a fourth game today. The White Sox are in it. The Astros are in it. Anybody can win this series. Either one of these teams can win this series. Am I pulling hard for my White Sox? You damn right. But at the same time, I follow the Houston Astros. And they're pretty damn good. That's Snowman's take. Division series style. What's yours? Give me your responses at official SIT Morn on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's at official SIT Morn. Working on the time change and a couple of other things, but we got the second hour of Snowman in the Morning. It's coming your way next. This is Snowman in the Morning. Monday edition of Snowman of the Morning continues. We'll get back to some football discussion in just a moment. But I want to bring something that ignorant me hasn't covered, at least on this program all year. That's the WNBA. Because yesterday the WNBA final started. And I am proud of my Chicago Sky as they have seized a one-game-to-none lead over the Phoenix Mercury 
with a 91-77 win. Can one player make a difference? If her name is Candace Parker, yeah. If her name is Kalia Copper, hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Parker has been the difference maker for the Chicago Sky. They had Elena Deladon for the better part of four years. And she was just coming into her own when she was uh, traded to Washington. Now, you get Candace Parker, who is from Chicago, Naperville, to be exact. And she has lit a fire under the Chicago sky that I can't believe. She has been that missing piece, that missing piece that the sky have needed for so long. And now they make their second appearance in the WNBA finals. They play game two Wednesday in Phoenix. But let's take a look at game one. I mean, they shot lights out. Copper scored 21 points. Allie Quigley had 18. The sky trailed by five at the end of one, but the second quarter told the story when they outscored Phoenix 26 to 10 and then outscored them in every other quarter since. 26 to 10. Copper was 7 of 13 from the field, hit five free throws. And it was a 17 to nothing run in the midst of that hot shooting quarter that gave the Sky their victory. Candace Parker's decision to return home filled the hole that they needed, giving them the calming presence that they needed. And look. Like I said, Chicago trailed at the end. The Sky trailed by five at the end of one. They got off to a bad start. But Candace Parker, being the veteran, saying, girls, we got this. Kalia Copper said everybody had first game jitters except Candace. She was the calmness for uh, that calmness for us. Close quote. Parker dropped 16 points. To help in the to help in the 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 win. Courtney Vandersloot had 12 points, 11 assists, and ready for this number? No turnovers. No turnovers for Vandersloot. Parker kept it all together. She went seven for ten, grabbed eight rebounds, and the sky have home court advantage. Candace Parker said, quote, I don't think I understood when I was younger that you have to be the calm for the storm and you have to be the storm when everyone's calm. Close quote. Kia Nurse for Phoenix out with a torn ACL and Sophie Cunningham with a left calf strain did not play yesterday. They also had a short turnaround after clinching the semifinals Friday in Las Vegas while the Sky had three days off. How big is that? Three days off after taking down top-seeded Connecticut.
The rest helped Chicago. And remember, the Mercury swept the sky in 2014 in a series that I covered. Diana Taurasi took over game five down the stretch, scoring 14 of her 24 points in the fourth quarter. She was voted the greatest player in the WNBA's 25-year history. No argument. Before game one of the finals. Parker returned home after 13 seasons in Los Angeles and has been a key reason the sky reached the finals. As mentioned, she finished with 17 points. She also was honored as one of the 25 greatest in WNBA history. When you get that final piece, if you're a team like the Chicago Sky that has been aching and wanting and pushing and trying to get to the WNBA finals and claim that first championship, and you finally get that piece. And I couldn't believe when I read Candace Parker was coming home to Chicago. I couldn't believe it. I thought, nah, that's not happening. Is it? Yeah, it happened. And they're up one game to none. I'll ask a very important question that uh, Doc Rivers asked during, 2004, during the 2004 NBA Finals. Are the Sky going to be satisfied with snatching that one in Phoenix? Or are they going to be greedy and try to get them both and take a lot of pressure off their shoulders before game three? If you're the Sky, you have to be greedy. You have to think we're not done here on the road. Because when we go home, we want two shots to clinch against Phoenix. We don't want to be in a tie game a tie series situation and game 3 comes along and then the nerves and the jitters come back. No, no. We want to be hyped and excited for a chance or two shots to clinch against a team that swept us 7 years ago. And the Phoenix Mercury looking for their fourth WNBA World Championship, the Sky looking for their first. And remember, the Sky were the fourth seed. Fifth seed, I beg your pardon, because they had to beat Dallas on the road to get into the semifinals. So on all three occasions, they've had to, um, they've had to hit the road. They won in Dallas. They beat Connecticut in four games, winning game four at home in Chicago at Wintrust Arena, a place I plan to visit very soon. And now you get the advantage of all advantages and you snatch the first one in Phoenix. Gee, that kind of takes me back to 1993 when the Bulls snatched two in Phoenix. Now that's a best of seven and they got one in Chicago. They had a chance to clinch in front of the home fans but couldn't do it. They won game six in Phoenix. This is a best of five. And I'll say it again. If you're the Chicago Sky... You want to put them away now. And for that to happen, you got to get game two Wednesday night. You have to snatch their heart out of them. You have to be greedy. You have to be greedy to want this as bad as you want it. After game one's performance, 
I believe they are going to be greedy and go for game two. Doc Rivers put the thought in my head, are you going to be happy with one? Because if you're happy with one, that means you go home and look at, look at this, listen to this from a mental standpoint. If you're happy with one, you go home, tied one apiece, and your confidence is, confidence is going to overflow and Phoenix could sneak right in and snatch home court advantage back. This is why Chicago needs to get game two and go up two games to none and have a one and two chance of clinching in front of the home fans. Because it's going, it, it is tough. It's tough to win two at home in the finals. And I'm not saying it can't be done. I know for a fact it can be done. I've seen it. Seattle Storm, hello. Phoenix Mercury, hello. But at the same time, when you have a talent like Candace Parker going up against talents like Brittany Griner and Diana Taurasi, you want to get game two on the road Wednesday night. Have a great flight home, and I applaud the WNBA for correcting a mistake. Little sidebar here. And have chartered flights for the teams when they come from Phoenix to Chicago. I think chartered flights should be in order for all WNBA teams. I hate to see it still as a fledgling league, but a lot of people still see it that way. I love women's basketball, and I've loved it since I was a young one. I just really continue to hope that by year 30, the WNBA would be on par or beyond par with some of the other professional leagues that offer a lot to their players, to their coaches, to their staffs, and to their fans. Where people will finally, finally, finally take notice. It has needed to happen for a long time. That's the end of that sidebar. But as I get back to my main point, Chicago, the sky, y'all have to be greedy. Y'all have to get game two. But the most important deed was done. They got one on the road. Now let's double it. Now let's double it. Take a break, and when we come back, I'll open the Spivey notes. What happened at Bank of America Stadium? I'd like to know that. I would really like to know that. Hour two of Snowman in the Morning continues. After this, you're listening live to Snowman in the Morning. I posed this question at the top of the program during hour one. How do you lose a game that you were in control of? And I posed that question about the Carolina Panthers, which is where I opened the pro- which is where I opened the program. Missed opportunities all over the place. Let's open the Spivey notes now as Jay Spivey joins me on the hotline. How you doing, Jay? Doing well, Brian. How about yourself? Doing better. Doing a lot better. That's a good thing. Uh, can you explain to me what the hell happened yesterday? 
Brian, I think it's a continuation of what I, you and I have been discussing for a long time now. They they just don't have the pieces that yeah. fit together. You can't, I'm sorry, you just cannot lose a home to the Eagles. I don't care who, I mean, I don't care what the score is. You can't lose a home to the Eagles. I mean, they they dominate, dominated that game for more than three quarters. They Jalen Hurts did absolutely nothing through three and a half quarters, and they still somehow lost the game. By a field goal. By a field If they pounce, you can look at so many points of reference in that game. But the one I'll look at, if they pounce on that bad snap to Hurts and turn it into a touchdown instead of a safety, right? game, set, match. Because there's no way Philadelphia's coming back from that. No. I mean, it's just, you know, a lot of people, I got, I got ripped for what I've been saying for the last six, eight months now. I mean, mm-hmm. To me, first of all, I don't. I mean, I'm, I've lived in North Carolina my entire life. I, you know, I'm proud to say we have an NFL team in North Carolina. I'm proud right. to say we. Have, I'm proud to say we have an NBA and an NHL team in North Carolina. Because I never would have expected that when I was a kid. I mean, who in the world would have thought that? But right. I don't. Just because I live here doesn't mean I have to root for the Panthers. But for for me, I, I kind of see it for what it is. I mean, for the most part, the Panthers have been kind of a joke in terms of how they've run their system. I mean, they have been to the Super Bowl twice, and that's great. And they're, they're way better than a lot of other teams in the, in the NFL. But especially recently, they've done nothing. And their their drafts have been bad. Their act, player acquisitions have been bad. I mean, they, it, but going back to the original question, you just cannot lose to the Eagles. I don't care who you are. Not at home. This was a gimme. This game was a gimme at home. Okay, you're coming off of a tough loss in Dallas by eight. So one possession game. You're coming against an Eagles team that, for the most part this season, has done nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And Jalen Hurts has done nothing. And did nothing for three quarters yesterday. And a block. Okay, each team blocked a punt. Which one had more significance? The one in the fourth quarter or the one in the second quarter? The one in the fourth quarter did. Right. And oh. and Darnold did not play well at all. Nope. I mean, I, I just don't. Well, again, I mean, I know a lot of it is his fault. I mean, definitely a lot of it is his fault because he threw the interceptions. But again, I'm going to say, is anybody afraid of more more and Anderson? They're not. No. They're just not. I don't care what kind of year they had last year. They're not afraid. And let me let me ask this question, and I pose this, you know, at the top of the program. Why are teams afraid to run the football? That's a good question. A lot? In goal line situations. <laughs> can I, I mean, get I a witness? Like, I've seen teams lately, high school, college, and pro, literally throw the ball when they're less than a foot away from the end zone. A foot away. A foot. And they throw the ball. I just don't understand it. I don't understand. And then what gets me more is the fact you don't run the ball, but you don't. But you, you either you, if, even if you try to run the ball, you're in a shotgun five or six yards behind the line of scrimmage. I never I mean, understood that formation. As long as I've been covering football, which is on the essence of on on the precipice of thirty years, I've never understood why you're five yards deep in the gun. And I've said that so many times. Do you know how? Do you know what could happen with a quarterback five yards deep? 
Well, we see it over and over and over. I don't understand that formation. I don't. I don't understand you get, it either. You get a yard or less, and you're in a you're in a shotgun five, six, seven yards behind the line of scrimmage. It makes mm-hmm. no sense. Mm-hmm. Makes no sense at all to me either. None. You don't see Tom Brady doing that. He's. I mean, he, he's a master of the quarterback sneak. He is. He really is. Whether it's a short goal, short uh, short yardage situation or a goal line situation, he's a master at that. I'll give so you. Why f- can't I'll, I'll give you four quarterbacks that were the master of the quarterback sneak along with Tom. Uh, excuse me. Uh, the four quarterbacks that come to mind right now that were the master of the quarterback sneak, three in particular, Montana, Manning, and Brady. Yeah, those are good. That's three exit choices. And the fourth one I put in there is Steve Young because he oh, learned yeah. to be a pocket passer, but he'll sneak the ball in and he'll run like a running back in a minute. Well, because, yeah, as you all know, I mean, he was a phenomenal athlete. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he had no problem running the ball. None. None. And I mean, had trouble with all the concussions and injuries he had, but yep. he was a phenomenal athlete. I mean, look at this. Look at the running backs he had in his stable in a transition from Roger Craig to um, Ricky Waters. Ricky Waters, absolutely. And transition in fullbacks from Tom Rathman, who he had up until 1993, and then, he, then they went and got William Floyd. I mean, yep. running style offenses on, on, on the goal line. If you're on the goal line two yards or less away, we saw this in Kansas City last night also, why don't you hand the football off? <laughs> it, just, it makes no sense. And, Nobody tries to run the ball anymore. And, and that, that upsets me because when I grew up watching football, teams ran the football. Absolutely. <laughs> they ran the ball a lot. And you had a chance against a substandard defense in Philadelphia to at least, at least get 200 yards of running offense. Mm-hmm. They weren't stopping the run. No. And, well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to go back to another thing that we've been harping on. I know he didn't play yesterday, and who knows when he's going to come back. But when you count on McCaffrey as much as they do, that's what happens. Yep. Yep. And in, they, they ruled him out at the last minute. Hubbard gets the start. And, you know, not to sound bad or sound like I'm talking bad about the Panthers, but let's just call it for what it is. And you and I have said this a lot, that this offense looks pedestrian. Absolutely. That's well said. Well said. It, it looks it, it looks pedestrian without McCaffrey, but who knows when we're going to see McCaffrey. He was itching to go up until Friday, and then they ruled him out. We don't. We, I mean, with, his, with the way he's been the last two years, we don't know when – even if he does come back, we don't know if he's going to get re-injured. He might be. He might be healthy. He might re-injured. It might be another thing where it's another chronic injury or chronic injuries that he's going to have throughout the season. I mean, there's still three months left in the season. Yep. Anybody remember Kansas City last year? The Kansas City game. McCaffrey comes back. He makes a difference. They nearly steal one in Kansas City, and then what happened? He was out for the rest of the year. Right. And they are so dependent on him mm-hmm. that. They, they, I mean, they just need, you know, it's just, it makes no sense to me how, you know, they're just so one-dimensional where they throw and run him so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's probably 75% of their offense. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't that be, might be look, a, that might be a little overstating, but I mean, I mean that's yeah, just but the at way the, it, But at the I, same time, how much do they depend on McCaffrey? You may as well say it's 75%. Yeah. Easy. But, even if he doesn't get the ball, he's a diversion a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, 
counting on McCaffrey is like the Rams counting on Marshall Falk and the 49ers back in the day counting on Roger Craig mm-hmm. to be that jackknife running back. Difference is Falk and Craig stayed healthy. McCaffrey, I hate to say it, one hasn't even touched the surface of what he can do, even though he has a thousand thousand season under his belt. But secondly, he's not on the field long enough to show everybody what he can do. No, he's always hurt. You know, and it, yeah, I know they lost to Dallas. Dallas looks like you know. I hate to say this because I just the thought of the say Cowboys, no more. The Cowboys just makes me sick. But to me. The Cowboys are far and away the best team in the NFC East, and they might be one of the best teams in the NFC. Mm-hmm. But to come back yesterday and stink it up like they like they did against the Eagles, like the Panthers did against the Eagles, and I'm, I'm looking at their schedule here. I mean, counting the Eagles game, their next seven games, counting yesterday, I mean, they had a real chance to make some hay other than the Cardinals game on November 14th. Mm-hmm. They're holding this Sunday against the Vikings. I mean, you know, they could beat them. They're they're at the Giants the following week, and that's when they get Stephon Gilmore. They're at Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta stinks. They're home against the Patriots. I mean, that's a winnable game. That is. They're at at Arizona. I mean, that's a very really tough game. But mm-hmm. and then they come home, and then they uh, they play Washington at home on November twenty first. You know, counting yesterday's game, that's six out of seven games that are quite winnable, and yeah. then you lose. You lose the first one. You lose a game that you should have won. I mean, you cannot lose to the Eagles at home. I mean, the Eagles are not that good. Heck, minus the Cowboys, that whole division stinks. Mm-hmm. Hey, you just echoed my feelings about the whole damn division. Okay, I mean, the whole division stinks. The last couple of years. I mean, ever since the Eagles won the World Series, I mean, the World Series, I'm sorry, <laughs> the, the Super Bowl. Ever since the Eagles won the Super Bowl, that, that division's been horrible. It has. It has. It, it has. There's just no other way you could put it. Since that Super Bowl win by Philadelphia, what has the NFC East done? Not a damn thing. And last year was just abysmal. Oh, my gosh. Uh, the just, last two years have been abysmal. Absolutely abysmal. And Carolina, 3-1, and one, you're sticking your chest out a little bit. Knowing some of the parts that they desperately need are still missing. And then that happens. And then yesterday happens. What? It's, you know, there are just too many, too many apologists out there that can't see the forest for the trees, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. They, they, they want to have excuse after excuse after excuse. You know, even if you do read for the Panthers or... Even if you cover the Panthers, you can you can see it for what it is. I mean, you should not have lost yesterday. You and I know a couple of Panther apologists, and I, I remove Mick Mixon from the list because he is their voice, and he will join me this uh, join me on Friday. I mean, we tell the truth for what it is, okay? And the Panthers did not do what what did we talk about after the draft? Who should they have gone after in the draft? Receivers. Either one of the Alabama receivers. Mm-hmm. Either and one of them. Either Waddle or Smith. Either one of them. And they didn't get either of them. Nope. And who else did we talk about? They should. They, offensive line. Thank you. Didn't get we, either one we, of them. Either. We talked about the offensive linemen that were available. 
uh, Panay Sewell and Rashad Slater, and Slater's doing an awesome job in Los Angeles, and then Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. They don't have a wide receiver one. They don't. I'm sorry. You know, Moore and Anderson are not a one. They're not ones. They're, they're really not. They're really, they're really not. You know, it's, it, some teams get lucky, and they, they, they draft a receiver, and he winds up turning into a wide receiver one. Example I can hold to you right now, Debo Samuel. He's turning into a wide receiver one. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's different. Well, y'all- None of these receivers for Carolina want to, st- from my eyes, want to step into that role. Yeah, I hate to, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I keep hearing people tell me that, well, you know, both of them had a thousand yard seasons last year. Well, sixteen games, you get a thousand yards. That's like six, 67 yards a, a game. That's not that much, right? And now there's seventeen games in the season, so you're down. You're going to be in the fifties again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's just bare average. I mean, that's not that much. That's not been that many yards. It really is. It really isn't. It really and isn't. It's a day and age where everybody's throwing the ball, and you only have average. Heck, you ought to have fifteen hundred yards the way things are now. Mm-hmm. Easy. I mean, back when we saw wide receivers, Michael Irvin, Jerry Rice, and and, and those guys, it was tough to get a thousand yards. Yeah, because they actually ran the ball. Exactly. They had a the teams had a diversified offense, and the real super teams had a real diversified offense because their number one priority was running the football. Right. Their number one priority was running the football. Jay Spivey joining me here as we look at our Spivey notes from the weekend, and I, I don't even want to bring this up. I'm afraid to bring this up. But how did Florida State win at Keenan oh. Stadium on Saturday? That is a hard. I, I told a friend of mine who's a big Carolina fan and Carolina graduate. I said that's just a horrible loss. It is. You can't. I mean, I, we were just talking about the Eagles beating the Panthers in Charlotte. I mean, that's one thing. That's the NFL. But you cannot lose to Florida State at home. You cannot. I don't care who you are. You can't lose to a team that lost to Jacksonville State. I just saw Florida State what, three or four weeks ago when they lost to Wake Forest in person. They look like a clown show out there. Yeah, and they you did. come back, and you you got you play them in your home stadium in Chapel Hill at Keenan, and you lay an egg like that—a big old egg. That's just a horrible loss in a bad conference. Yeah, they see a terrible football conference. And you're starting to and you're starting to see more of the results thereof. One of the top teams in the conference, Wake Forest, and taking yeah, nothing Wake away from Forest. Wake Forest. Taking leading team at four and and six and overall. Yeah, that tells you a lot about the conference. Taking nothing away from Wake Forest. I'm okay, not looking at this from the national standpoint that everyone else loves to look at it. This ain't a good conference. No, I hear, you know, I watch. I'm a huge college football fan. I'm sure yes. you are too. I watch game day every Saturday. Yep. Every 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 analyst on there says ACC is terrible, and a lot yep. of people again. We get back to apologists where people cannot see that. Right. The ACC is terrible, and it has been for a long time. Other than Clemson, mm-hmm. Clemson just passed it over the years. Now Clemson's a little down this year, and they might bounce back and win this conference for all I know. I mean, they can yeah. very well win this conference. Yeah. Very well. But yep, Clemson absolutely, a lot of the failures ACC's had. 
and and the bad part is the 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 circling of the drain I feel is just starting with the it way probably, this is going. You know, it probably is. I, I hope the new commissioner, you know, I, the new commissioner was on, I guess it was ACC Network the first night of the regular season this year. Yeah. And, uh, I guess that was State that was on. NC State was on. And he, he got on there and he said, we have to get better in football in this conference. I'm sure that made a lot of people in the ACC upset. A lot of fans in the ACC upset. But it made me smile. It's the ACC to compete. Because this is all about football. I don't care what people say. Yeah, it is. I know it's a quote-unquote basketball conference, but this is all about football. Mm-hmm. And if you can't compete in football, you're a woebegone conference. Yep. And, and the Pac-12, let me look at the Pac-12 and how they stunk over the last however many years. Yep. They're a joke. Yep. Yep, absolutely. That's, that's, why, they, that's why you have Pac-12, quote-unquote, after dark. Yeah, when you're playing your games at 2 in the morning. You have Pac-12 after. Listen to me, folks. I've talked about this. You have Pac-12 after dark, and they wear that as a symbol of honor. Yeah, yeah. The only competitive game I've seen from the Pac-12 in the past two years was when Stanford beat Oregon two weeks ago. Yeah, look at what Stanford's done this year. Nothing. Not a thing. Not a thing. And what's scary is their finding the same fate that the ACC is. Commissioner said, we have to get better in football. This is a football conference. Because if you don't get better in football, not only do you lose recruits, you lose money. You lose a lot of money. And uh, other than the NCAA tournament, basketball doesn't generate a lot of money. No, football does. The NCAA tournament generates almost all the money you receive from college basketball. Yep. Yep. You know, Home games don't generate a whole lot of money. I mean, this is all about football. The ACC has a terrible TV contract. Mm-hmm. Don Swafford, the previous commissioner, you know, set up. They waited way too long to get their own network. Way too long. Way too late. Way too they late. Should been, they should have been the first conference to get a network. Yep. Now the Big Ten is just crushing people with money. Mm-hmm. The SEC is crushing people, and they're only going to get bigger now that Oklahoma and Texas are joining the conference. And the the, the first two networks to get their own network, Big Ten, SEC. Yep. And they're just rolling in cash. And SEC was less than a year after the Big Ten got theirs. Because remember, folks, Big Ten Network premiered in 2007. SEC Network was, hell, halfway through the uh, 2007-2008 year when they established their roots. Why do you think Maryland left the ACC for the Big Ten? Money. They like they got forty million dollars extra per year by joining, by joining the Big Ten. Forty million. Yep. And that's just one team. Mm-hmm. What do you think Ohio State and Michigan are making? About three times that, if not more. They're just rolling. The ACC has got to get better in football. They have and to. The, again, the fact that Wake Forest is leading the conference, and like you said, nothing away, nothing taken away from them, but. It just speaks volumes about where the league is. And I'll say it again. If they don't get better in football, and I'm giving this 24 months, I'm looking at this from the standpoint of a journalist and the standpoint of a fan of college football. If the ACC doesn't get better in 24 months with football, they're already hemorrhaging money as it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, look at the look at the fans. Look at the fans. I have the have any aside of Clemson. 
Have any of the stadiums been full for every game? No. 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 No, they haven't. Nope. The ACC is hemorrhaging money. Nope. They're hemorrhaging. They're, they're hemorrhaging money, and what, what makes it? it and what makes it worse? You see the. I use the example of Keenan Stadium. I don't think I've seen Keenan Stadium have a sellout since 2015. That's probably true. When they won the Coastal Division. The only other team I would put in a place where they have sellouts every week would be Virginia Tech. Yeah, well, that, yeah that's, that's probably true. That's the only other team I would put in that position of having sellouts every week. It would be Virginia Tech. But, I mean, again, going back to them, I mean, they should have beaten Notre Dame Saturday night and didn't. Yeah, they should have. Because Notre Dame is not any good. And Notre Dame keeps proving they're not any good. Lose to Cincinnati, barely escape Virginia Tech, and yet, what's going to happen? See, if we want to talk about college football and money, the first example I got of a college manipulating a TV contract was Notre Dame. Yeah, and they shouldn't be allowed to do what they're doing. The first if, school... If John Swafford allowed them to do whatever they wanted by allowing them to play five games on the ACC. Mm-hmm. That's, you either play them eight games or whatever it is, or play them no games. Yep. You either join the conference you either join or you the don't. Conference or you don't. And... The Big Ten finally pulled the Big Ten finally pulled their offer and said, "Okay, we've had enough of pursuing you." They knew what Notre Dame that could bring to them. They knew it. Well, the ACC is going to have to expand again. You know they are. Oh yeah. Year. And so, so is the, probably probably the Big Ten is too. But mm-hmm. I mean, you, so the, are you going to pursue Notre Dame or are you? Because I mean, Notre Dame is going to eventually have to join a conference. That's all, it's, there's no question about that. Yes. They can't in this in this new world of college football, you, you're going to have to be in a conference. You're going to have to be. You're going to have you're going to have to be because there's no way, and it's not fair for you to be in a conference for basketball and baseball, and then you're not in a conference for football. And yet, and yet, they're one of the five schools that make the most money broadcast wise. Yeah, they do. And if if you if you do get Notre Dame going, which I think is ridiculous. Because they should be the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Who's your other team? Because you can't have 15 teams. Nope. you got to have Who's another your, team. And they lost it now because of, you know they, they're losing Cincinnati. Central Florida wasn't really an option anyway because ACC doesn't want three Florida teams. Right. They didn't want Houston, so obviously that wasn't really an option. Mm-mm. And then obviously BYU, they didn't want them, so I mean, that's not an option either. But the only real option was, was uh, Cincinnati. Yeah. And now they lost them. UConn is horrible in football, so you don't want them. No. No. So who who are you going to add? Who can you add? You can't. All the options are dried up. I know it's not going to happen, but I would love to have Maryland back in the conference. They were a great member, and they were a charter member of the ACC. Mm -hmm. I know they're not going to go back to the ACC. I know that's a pipe dream, but I'd like to see that. I'd like to see Maryland back in the. I'd like to see Maryland back in the ACC, because, like you said, they were a charter member and they were ultra competitive in the conference in all sports. And they were. I mean, they they, they travel. Their fans travel. Yes, they do. Look at the attendance around the around the big. T- Maryland goes to Maryland goes to Ohio State. Ohio State seats what one hundred two thousand. You think thirty? You think thirty thousand of those seats aren't gone to Maryland fans? Yeah, they they travel. I've seen it for years and years and years. They mm-hmm. travel. Mm-hmm. 
even when they're not being – I mean, they haven't really been that great in football over the years, but they travel. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. But now Maryland knows where its bread is buttered. And for them to come back to the ACC, the ACC is going to have to put on a hell of a performance for the next two years. Well, they're going to have to – for that to happen, their TV contract's going to go up exponentially. Yep. And that's not happening. I mean, that's just not happening. It's not. It's really not. <laughs> Scary as as logical as you would think that is. That's it's that's not happening. That's not well, happening. Your other team is if you even if you get Notre Dame, I don't know who your other team is going to be. Yeah, Notre Dame would need a partner, and we don't know who that is. Nobody's going to leave the SEC. Heck, Clemson might leave the ACC to go to the SEC. For all I know. And you know what? Wouldn't be surprised. You know, if Notre, if Florida State ever gets good in football again, I mean, they might leave. They the might bolt. SEC may have 20 teams before this is all over. Wouldn't be surprised. Would not be surprised at all. Jay Spivey joining me here on the program as we open our Spivey notes around the Carolina region, around the ACC. You can hear him every Monday during this hour of the program. Always a pleasure to have you on, my friend. Appreciate the time. Thank you, Ryan. Take care. Have a great day. I'll wrap it up with a final point after this. Time to wrap it up, and I want to thank you all for listening to the Monday edition of Snowman in the Morning. Going to go through a time change and uh, do the live show at 8 a.m. Eastern Time from uh, 8 to 10, and that's the final decision because uh, I finally got a spot where I can where I can do the show and the road show can be limited so I can increase my strength and uh, just... Do and just get myself uh, just get myself healthy as I kick pancreatic cancer in the ass. And you know something, I'm doing a lot better this cycle of this uh, cycle with my chemo meds and everything. Everything is great. Uh, just a matter of me getting sleep. That's all. Just a matter of me getting a good eight hours worth a good eight hours worth of sleep and then having stuff written down uh, for me to do the the next day because that's what my wife is helping me with. And speaking of my wife, I wouldn't be who I am without her. I mean, she and I had a nice conversation yesterday and she's she, she jokes around with me a lot and she says, you're just going to have to get used to me taking care of you. She says, all I want you to do is rest Eat well and take care of the critters. I have a dog in it. We got a dog and a cat in the house. A dog and uh, my daughter's cat. <clears throat> so I can live with that. I can absolutely. Li- I can absolutely live with that. And she says, "Get to work on your show." And that started today. <clears throat> Excuse me, and getting everything together. So I want to thank y'all for being patient with me. Thank you for continuing to support me. And thank you as I get this show together. Have a great day. God bless. Remember to make your next move your best move. And always remember, if your dreams don't scare you, then they are not big enough. Dream big, do bigger. I am, and I hope you all are, too. One more note, the ALDS Game 4 in Chicago has been postponed until tomorrow. So I have more thoughts about that tomorrow. And we'll also wrap up Monday Night Football as well and have an NBA conversation. Goodbye, everybody. God bless. I'll talk to you tomorrow on Snowman in the Morning.